0: I'm Mark Dolan and this is Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the brilliant comedians Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. Let's start with tomorrow's front pages. And we've got the Daily Mail for you. Take a look at this. Mordant flouted number 10 ban to meet boycotted groups she's condemned for dodgy judgment ahead of MPs vote today after Tory rivals clash in feisty TV debate. Penny Mordaunt there accused of meeting a Muslim group that had been blacklisted by the government. Next up, the Daily Telegraph. Heatwave meltdown brings UK to a halt and rivals accuse Sunak of leading the country into recession. The Independent McElroy loses to Smith in open drama and protect UK from extreme heat, ministers urged. The Guardian, red alert, ferocious heat wave set to send temperatures beyond 40 degrees centigrade, and Tory leadership debate exposes deep divisions. The Metro next. Who is the weakest Tory link? There's the lineup of the Fab Five. Seeking the biggest job job in the country, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Meltdown Monday, Britain's hottest day is forecast, say the Metro. The Daily Star, it's siesta Britain. 40 winks, 40 degrees centigrade winks. Nation urged, take afternoon naps to beat intense heat. And the UK is the world's hottest place after the Sahara Desert and the Middle East. And those are your front pages. There you go. Well, lots of stories and, of course, the big debate happened on ITV tonight at 7pm. The Daily Mail brings reaction. Diane, tell me more.
1: Okay, Ding, ding. So, right, they all squared up. Liz Truss came in with the karate chops and she went straight up to Sunak and she's like, Oh, you're trying to do business as usual. And uh, you've been choking off growth. And Sunak's like, Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? And then he sort of came in like this, because obviously he's from a very posh school, and he came in and he went, oh, well, you're not, you're doing socialism. And uh, he kind of accused her of, he basically dragged up the fact that she was a Remainer and that she was originally a Lib Dem, and that she's now coming out with all these socialist policies. Uh, Meanwhile, in the background, you've got, like, uh, Penny and Kemi, and they're kind of, like, thumping each other. It was really exciting. There were some chairs broken. (laughs) And I I, I think I'm uh, enlarging some of this. Um, But uh, essentially, then then there was more. Uh, Tugendhat came in playing the flute. Uh, (laughs) Essentially, it it was a great debate and kemi is coming out for me as a really strong candidate she seems to be talking a lot of sense she also seems to be talking the truth but i have to remember i'm not allowed to vote in this so even though i've got my favorite horse in this race i can't affect the outcome um there was an interesting chat between her and tom because uh he's there going i've served on the front lines in afghanistan and all of these places And she's like yes but you've not had to serve on the front bench, you've not been in the position where you've had to make difficult decisions. And she uh, said something that I thought was brilliant, where she spoke about when she worked, I think it was at the Treasury, and she said, you have the choice between terrible option A, awful option B, and mad option C. Some, these are the kind of things she's been saying, so I really enjoy listening to her. Meanwhile, Penny is saying that she's been smeared... She's been smeared everywhere and she's leaking things uh, because uh, it was all about changing whether people can self-identify as different genders. And um, she's claiming, no, I didn't do that at all. And sort of Kemi's going, I think you're not telling the truth. And then Kemi and Liz were like slapping each other. Somebody brought in a fountain and there was like hair being pulled. So that's where we are.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right to tap into the fact that uh, Kemi Badenoch made an impact. I think that her campaign slogan could be keeping it real because that was her message throughout, wasn't it? Uh, I liked Nick Dixon, uh, her comments about Brexit. When one of the candidates said, we've got to finish Brexit, she said, no, 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 Brexit's done. We're out of the EU. We've got to crack on now.
2: Yeah, it's more about moving on with the opportunities of Brexit, which, to be fair, Sunak said as well. Yeah, I thought overall it was a lot stronger than the first one, which wasn't saying that much because the first one was pretty poor. Liz Truss was a lot better, but she was so bad in the first one. Again, that's not saying much. To me, Morden has been sort of meh in both of them. Everyone was a bit slicker. Uh, Kemi did well again. Tugan Hat was OK, but he was not. He didn't stand out as much because in the first one, he was the best. And I say that with no relish because I don't want him to win at all. But he was the best in the first debate. This one, he, he wasn't as good because everyone did a bit better. Um, Honesty seems to be the best thing to me. You're right about Kemi, her whole policy, her whole platform is based around honesty. She keeps mentioning honesty. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got their little buzz things. Trust is I'm ready on day one, I'll get things done, pragmatism, experience. Which
0: is what, by the way, uh, yeah. Theresa May said
2: in 2016. Very similar to me. She is similar to me. Kermit is honesty, but if you look at the, the best moments for me, when Liz Truss said, I may not be the slickest presenter, the, the male is trying to tell us that's a dig at Rishi. To me, that's an honest acknowledgement that she didn't do very well in the first debate and everyone's probably panned it. And she's gone, look, I'm not the best presenter, but I'll actually get stuff done. So to me, that was strong. And then when Rishi was asked about his wife, I thought he was strong there as well, because he's... And I'm no fan of Rishi, but he said... Yeah my wife's done really well. I'm really proud that my wife's father just came from nothing, a couple of hundred quid, was really successful. It's a great conservative story. And I thought that was the right way to own it. It was very strong. Sort of my own wife's speech, yep. you know what I mean? And uh, she yeah, so that was strong. So yeah. Oh, and just a quick note, the worst part was the presenter on ITV saying because we've got a couple of hot days, she referred to she said that was evidence of the severe effects of climate change clearly becoming apparent. And I thought, this is why I don't watch mainstream media, Mark. You wouldn't get that kind of information. I completely on agree. She
0: also used the expression killer heat wave. <laughs> which, again, is very inflammatory language, uh, not rooted in necessarily death statistics. I mean, it's going to be a tough couple of days for people, but there's no need for that language.
1: No, my word, it is absolutely panicking me. I'm not enjoying watching all these people predicting gloom and doom. Mm. No need at all.
0: And, and the thing is, you know, you're pale with auburn hair, so if you're not afraid, then none of us should worry. <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, I mean, you
0: get sunstroke in November, let's be honest
1: struggling under these i mean i've got factor 50 on in the studio
2: can i add one more pro kemi point she you can say just, what the hell you like well because we this love kemi this is unofficially the nick dixon show she went in on on rishi and she pointed out that he had had this uh 17 billion fraud COVID fraud problem that he had not dealt with and she, that was where she was very strong because kemi's an engineer so she's very big on detail yes. and, and she just hit him she hinted like, that she flagged it up to him and that she was And he listening. ignored it and of course he said that well, that's not the case yeah i thought that was her strongest moment Is Rishi
0: Sunak, Diane Spencer, too rich to be Prime Minister?
1: Yeah. Sorry, but I think he. I mean, is the bank balance
0: does for him, doesn't
1: it? Well, he's. I mean, the thing is, is there's there's two schools of thought because uh, if you have a super rich person in charge, then they're used to dealing with the ridiculous kind of numbers you need to deal with to run a country. Like, yeah. he's he's more likely to manage the money well because he's he's sort of learned he's been in that world all the time. Whereas at the same time, it's a bad idea because. He doesn't know how to fill a car up with petrol. He has no connection to
0: the. I, majority I agree. Of I don't people. think he's ever stood that close to a Kia before.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, I think him just wandering in without a chauffeur was probably quite a, a scary and thrilling time for him. So, I, yeah.
2: sorry. A couple of thoughts on that, Mark. One, it's, it's interesting that Trump was so rich that it helped him because he didn't have to take a load of money from donors. Mm. Therefore, he could kind of say what he wants. So that, that's more relevant to the US scene, it just came into my mind. The other thing that's funny is I noticed you backed Rishi and got sort of hammered for it, sure. which was a very centrist Mark take. I knew you backed Rishi, is that what it was, just Mark being just down the middle, I, centre? I,
0: I think that the crisis we're in is an economic one, so I want somebody that knows the economy well, knows how the Treasury functions inside and out. This guy can be Prime Minister from day one, and sort out the cost of living crisis, get on top of inflation. Plus, he's an an entrepreneur. He's been in the city. So I think he's qualified. I also think he's a good performer. I think he's coherent in his messaging, and I think that he can beat Keir Starmer. That's why I backed him in January and Ah. more recently. But I'm not going to lie... Kemi has turned my head a little.
2: Ah, uh, mm. good, because I don't know why you think he can beat Starmer. He's one of the, To me, he's one of the weakest against Starmer. And, of course, the attack on him is that he was there and presided over a bad economy. You might say, well, Covid made it hard, I but think that's the would, attack. He's he... raised national insurance, Yeah, he's raised... Tax- well, well um, let's talk about that, because okay. oh, yeah, we got that times, late. Sunak fueled inflation by printing
0: huge sums of money during the pandemic. This came up in the debate, didn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. Do you want to do that one? Yeah. I can do that one. Yeah, this is... Uh, Ian Duncan Smith attacked uh, Sunak's economic record and questioned his policy of... Of ruling out tax cuts, so the, basically uh, Ian Duncan Smith is saying that you should have not allowed all this printing of money, and he's saying that you, it, it can't be the Bank of England's fault because the Treasury gets the decision over that. So he says, over a year ago, the Bank actually kept on printing huge sums of money, which has inflated the economy as well as keeping interest rates low. Before they say, oh, it's independent, the Treasury has the right to say no to the money printing. So that's IDS's view on it. And recently, of course, in the debate, defended the Bank of England tonight, he said that on average, since their inception, they've had uh, 2% average inflation. They yeah. have done a good job. And he talked about sound money. That's his approach. He says, if we, if we can't be sound money as the Tories, what's the point? We may as well be Labour. We, you know, Starmer's attacking us on borrowing. And that's his argument. He says that we can't borrow our way out of inflation. He mocked uh, Morden, saying that Corbyn was more extreme on borrowing tonight. There's been this kind of debate in the Tories for a while between the the high tax, Rishi wants higher taxes and he doesn't want to leave debt for the next generation versus the Trusses and others who want lower tax, more traditional Tory approach, cut tax. And that's the debate, basically.
0: Well, an interesting debate it is. Uh, Next up, Diane, we've got uh, Monday's Mirror and the European Court of Human Rights is a hot topic uh, among Tory leadership hopefuls.
1: Yes. So, um, they were asked whether they would leave the European convention on human rights, so let's just remind ourselves of what this is. When we left uh, the European Union, we left behind the European courts of justice. Yeah. We did not leave behind uh, the European court of human rights, which is something that Winston Churchill founded, uh, we, we were instrumental in creating. We've got
0: British judges that sit in that court. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it um, is it formed like a, a really solid foundation of the Good Friday Agreement. So it is inherently in,
0: in and it ex- was there to stop another Hitler, wasn't it?
1: Yes, and 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 it's in, in in inextricably. That's the wrong word. It's completely glued together with the Good Friday Agreement. It's very crucial to uh, Ireland and yeah. Northern Ireland. And um, so the candidates were asked whether they would leave it because. What has happened recently, as you know, is with the immigration and the Rwanda plan, is that the European Court of Human Rights stepped in and they said, no, uh, we think that you are breaching these people's rights by enacting your Rwanda plan. And so a lot of people kind of spat their tea out and went, I thought we left the European Union. And no, it's two separate things. So now it's become a question, a question to our potential next Tory leader. uh, Would you leave it? And Liz Truss, who has been heavily involved, obviously, as the foreign secretary, with the Northern Ireland Protocol, is very much like, well, if I had to leave, it would very much be a very last option. And the Tories have been talking for a while of replacing it with the British Bill of Rights. Uh, Whereas two candidates have definitely said, no, we're not believing this. So there we go. And those two candidates are Tom and Penny. So there we go. But the others... Do, do we
0: know what was Penny sort of opaque on this for now? Do we know whether she would leave? Oh, she no, no, she said
1: she wouldn't leave.
0: Yeah, Penny has said she would Sorry, sorry, leave. Kemi. Rishi. Kemi,
1: we don't know Kemi. Kemi. Oh. about Kemi. I'm
0: getting my Kemi's and my Penny's mixed up. Right. OK. <laughs> Thank God I haven't got a vote. <laughs> yeah,
2: Kemi probably hasn't had a chance to sort of form a policy on it yet and Rishi's been very vague on it. The best answer, I thought, came from Truss, who said she would leave if she had to, but, but as a last resort, like you said. I mean, Suella was very strong. She's obviously out now and saying she would leave. The problem for me with it, I don't claim to understand it in great deal detail, but if you can't enact your own immigration policy because they're grounding planes because of this, then something has to change, surely.
0: Um, absolutely. Can we talk briefly about uh, Kemi Badenoch's piece in the Sunday Times? Yeah. Um, we're happy to cover that, cover that Nick. Uh, Labour still living in the past on race, This says is the... Kemi Badenoch. yes.
2: Brilliant piece. So, this is, this is the key. So, Kemi Baynock triggers the, what we could call the racist left to go into absolute meltdowns, and they just don't know how to handle it. So, the key part of this is she says that um, what's amazing is how you, you talk to some people in Labour, they're still pretending it's 1955 or 1948. It's as though they have to pretend nothing has changed in order to justify their own argument. It's destructive for young people, because what they hear is the message that it doesn't matter what you do, people are going to try and stop you. And she says the argument I make to people is that we've all been victims of crime, but we don't all think our country is institutionally criminal. So she's saying, yes, racism exists, but we're not in an institutionally racist country. So this, this just puts... This just checkmates the left, because they don't know what to do with her. And you've probably seen on Twitter people like Dr Scholer, who said that Kemi was somehow enabling white supremacy and pushing back the argument of an, for anti-racism by a black person going for prime minister. She's told her to crawl back into her mother. So it draws out the absolute horrific people on the left... And we saw also the fox killer Jolly and Morn, whatever he's called, yeah. saying that to will the Conservatives accept a brown candidate, meaning Rishi. Oma Jalili did a similarly stupid tweet the other day. Even an even a Leb Dem parliamentary candidate did a bizarre tweet about Sweller Bravman, where he said, get your immigrant offspring face off my TV. So it draws out the bizarre, I know, it draws out the horrific left who actually are now the racists, who think they're not. Just just because the Conservatives have moved past that. They're just saying, What are we going to do on Brexit? What are we going to do on tax? We don't like wokeness. And the left just thinks that Tory voters won't accept, you know, a woman of colour, but of course they will.
1: Can I just say, it's not all the left.
2: No, no, it's that element of the left. Yeah, the
1: far, far sort of crazy Yes, that's what I meant. I think that's right. Yeah, because um, what I found really great about uh, Kemi's piece is that um, she's saying, just because you're white, you're not inherently racist, and it's like, oh, my God, thank you for (laughs) stating the obvious, which sadly needs to be stated. Um, And what I thought was uh, incredible, though, was that she says that her belief is that Meritocracy and aspiration are a winning combination. I'm like, oh, my Lord, I remember when I thought meritocracy worked. (laughs) I love it. She's still got that dream. I'm like, you lived that dream, Kenny. It's it's
0: like a TED Talk. (laughs) It's like listening to Anthony Robbins. isn't it? It's fabulous.
2: She's impressive. I also, do you know I was at the House of Lords the other day, Mark? You uh, are, you are, uh, you're living your best life, aren't you? Due to an (laughs) admin error, uh, Uh, well... Then they let Leo curse in, which sort of marred it for me a little uh, bit. That but
0: would have provoked a security situation.
2: I, I didn't realise Kemi was speaking. I mean, there's ISIS and there's Leo curse. <laughs> I know, I know, calls were made. But I was as close as to Kemi as I am to you on now. She did a speech very, very near, and I, I got to see her up close. She's very, very uh, smart and funny and brilliant. Do you want to move on? No, no, I'm just doing I'm my chemo. i listen to you. my political
0: am I'm, I'm like all good women, I can do several things at one time. She,
2: you could tell <laughs> she was nervous. Her hand was even shaking, I could see, before she went on stage. But you know what it's like before you perform. But then as soon as she got on the stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. she was calm and she was brilliant. And yeah, I was back in Sweller initially, but when I could see she couldn't make it, I switched to chemo. Yeah,
0: you switched all the way there. Um, a really quick word on the smears about Mordant, Diane. Will they stick, the idea that she's woke or that she's what I'm calling a vagina denier?
1: (laughs) Can I just say, I love that phrase. I think it's beautiful. Bless you for that. So, Penny is suffering uh, from... I've had a
0: tattoo of it done on my left arm. (laughs) What? Mrs Dolan hates it.
1: I am a vagina. No more vagina deniers. I do not want to know what the illustration is. Well, they've finished it.
0: The guy had to get (laughs) a lunch break, so it just says vagina. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd only got the, I haven't got the money to pay for the rest of the ink. I mean, that's We're quite a living crisis.
1: Yeah, to do, have it at the top. So um, uh, yes, Penny Morden is suffering from leakage. Uh, so um, the good ship Morden sprung a leak. Um, she's basically um, saying that she's claimed she is the victim of smears on the transgender issues. This is what we mentioned before. Now she claims uh, that she never advocated, ending the requirement for trans people to obtain a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria before they could legally change gender. because mm-hmm. there were two things that they had to do. They had to get a medical diagnosis saying, no you've definitely got gender dysphoria, you've definitely got it, you've been assessed. Um, and you also had to you had two medical reports and a report detailing um, any medical treatment that had been received. And then they sort of have this internal memo, which basically says, well, this doesn't really have a bearing on anything. It's not going to change anything. And it's sort of leading towards people being able to self-identify, which is where, as our favourite Kemi said, that leads to people, sort of men, walking around very much with uh, male genitalia, saying, oh, no, I'm a woman. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You're, you're not, and then it adds into the legal things where it's kind of the women's only spaces, like women's prisons and things like that. Um, so she, she claims that she was never for self-identification.
0: And yet I feel that she's walked into one on this, hasn't she? Because by watering down the, the criterion by which you can self-identify as yes trans person... Uh, you, you know, that, that opens the doors to self-ID, which is something she denies she stood for, except that there it is in black and white.
2: Yes, yes. I think smoking gun, Nick. Yeah, yeah, and then Nixon. she then she rolled it back and made that joke about not having a willy. We all know she was lying. She's ultra-woke. She said in the comments, you know, trans women and women, she's got this woke brother who's like her Carrie, uh, uh, I think, and, and she's, you know, she says some shocking things. In her book, she said the problem with most of our leaders... The problem is that most of our leaders are drawn from a narrow background their education training was from the last century when the world was very different. It was long-term, male, patient, predictable, factual, planned, heterosexual, white, Christian, Western. So she's making it sound like she's against all of those things, which is practically everything.
0: Yeah, too right. Well, we're for lots of things, including the best stories from tomorrow's papers. So do stick around, because next up, after the break... Has Joe Biden finally stood up to Saudi Arabia? What universities are doing about exam cheaters? And the Victorian law that's got two women in trouble, plus Britain has been told to do nothing to cope with the heat. Well, oh, we've been doing that for two and a half years. Why break the habit of a lifetime? It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel rather hot, Nick.
2: <laughs> yeah, in the Telegraph, UK weather. Britain should do as little as possible in 40C heatwave. That's great news. So this is the continual freakout about summer I mean, it's, like I just said, the ITV presenter said that it's the end of days. I mean, I remember it being 38 degrees a couple of years ago. I looked at my phone and I went, oh, that's hot. And that was the end of it. That was pre-COVID, though, so everything wasn't an emergency that involves the government taking away our freedoms. Now everything, everyone goes mad. Apparently Twitter tells me ambulances are going to go on set on fire. We've got to close the schools. Crops are going to fail. So it's the end of time because we've had two hot days and it's saying here there's a 90% chance that the UK will reach the rec- will break the record of 38.7 degrees C. But when was that? It was in 2019. So it was still very hot in 2019. But have you noticed that we've got this new hysteria about it? I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying it's pleasant in London. I'm not saying climate change is totally made up. I'm just saying we're getting a bit carried away. I saw someone on Twitter saying thousands will die, you know. And then there was an argument from a... I think it was a weatherman on Twitter, and he was saying why it was terrible and we all have to be afraid. And then he said, as for the argument that... You know, you go on holidays. Like, well, he goes, well, that's a choice, and and people sometimes have aircon. It's like, if you're born in the '80s or earlier, there was no aircon. You didn't know of aircon until you were about 20. You hadn't heard of aircon. So we went to hot places. We were fine. The fact that we did it as a choice, I, I don't see what how that's relevant to the danger. I mean, yes, okay, there's a sort of safety and freedom argument, but like, it's not as dangerous as they're saying. Surely, am I crazy?
0: No, I mean, my mum always came back pink from the Canary Islands.
1: Oh, <laughs> how Yeah,
0: she wore her burn (laughs) with pride. Oh, my word. I've spent 500 quid getting that.
1: Oh, bless her. Oh, I've actually loved it as well. Well, I would just say that I think we're... Perhaps all of these killer titles are a little bit alarmist and they... Maybe let's calm down. And, you know, just I think it's more stubborn old people that we need to keep an eye on. Because, you know, like when your, your elderly relatives are like, no, I'm still going to go outside and still going to garden for five hours. And you're like, yeah, but you, you might just want to have a few more Cups of water with you, is if that's okay. And uh, a nice cold flannel on the back of the neck is a lovely thing that you can do if you get a bit warm. You can always have a cold bath if mobility's not an issue. So there's lots of ways you can keep warm. Oh, close your curtains. Don't let the sunlight in your house. Yeah. And uh, don't actually open the windows because the, the air is hot and then you just so... I know it seems
0: counterintuitive. Quite, quite good advice.
2: Public service announcement. No, it's yeah. useful, especially for very light, well, light-haired try... people. I know, I've yeah. had problems, but can I just add as well, I'm going to play football on Tuesday in 40 degrees. If I die, it will look a bit silly, some of the stuff I've said tonight, but I still don't think the hysteria is justified. No, what would be
0: very funny is if you sort of die of a sort of mixture of COVID and sunstroke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I was still right on
2: the principle. the
0: Uh, Monday's Telegraph next. And has Biden finally stood up for something, Diane?
1: Mm, No. So Biden went on a trip and it was his big oil trip because obviously now that um, Putin has invaded Ukraine further... um, Since you've
0: invaded Ukraine?
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, we'll chat about it in the break. Catch me up later. Okay. so I'll send you a thing on WhatsApp. So (laughs) what's going on is that Biden has now uh, gone to sort of make some new deals um, and he went to Saudi Arabia. And um, there is an issue because the um, representatives of the Crown Prince have said that he never raised the issue of the murdered journalist Jamal Khashoggi Mm. in talks, whereas Biden has come back and said, oh, no, I said it straight away. I said it straight away. And then they've come back and said, oh, yeah, well... uh, Oh, no, and then he said that they brought up uh, the journalist uh, from Al Jazeera, that lady, um, uh, Shireen Abu Akleh, who was um, killed in occupied Palestine. And um, they, the Saudi officials then said that they also brought up the long-running torture at Abu Ghraib prison. So it sounds like these talks went great. You know, they're kind of going, oh, well, you did this. And Biden's going, yeah, but didn't you kill that guy? And then what was weird is they did this fist bump thing. And the press have been picking on it, and Biden is saying, why can't you youngsters talk about something else? But a fist bump is very different to a handshake. It is a bit. A fist bump is like, oh, whoa, you know, it's like something you do like when you've got away with something. It's something you do with your buddies. It's not the same as a handshake. A handshake is very formal, and I can see why people are picking on this gesture. Yeah. And he's essentially come back with no announcements about oil trade so he effectively has kind of failed in his mission.
0: Yeah, whether it's Afghanistan or, or now uh, in the Middle East, it seems that uh, across, uh, across in Saudi Arabia, basically with his baking bowl looking for oil. Uh, in terms of foreign policy, Biden's having a tough time of it, Nick. Well,
2: Biden's having a tough time in general because he's the worst president of all time. But he... Um, its just Get funny. off
1: the fence, Nick.
2: I will in a bit. The, the idea that um, Biden has stood up to someone in a tough way which he's claiming here, I just find... Questionable. I mean, when Trump arrived, there's videos on Twitter, when he arrived in Saudi Arabia, there was a ceremonial sword dance, everyone was, like, loving Trump, and then Biden arrived, he just came in and he just got out on his own, maybe a fist bump. People respect and love Trump around the world, even if they don't necessarily in this country, and no-one respects Biden. Well, I'm afraid to say I can't disagree with you on
0: that one. Now, this country has many wacky old laws, and the Daily Mail has a story about one that's got two women in trouble, Nick.
2: Yeah, Daily Mail, two British women face life in prison for having abortions under... Obscure 160-year-old Victorian law. Now, this is a bit of hype from the Daily Mail. There's pictures of the Roe versus Wade protests. They're trying to get a sort of culture war story. They're trying to get us to all think, oh, no, women are, are, being, uh, are being oppressed by old Victorian laws. But if you actually look into the story carefully, it's not really the case. What's actually happened is one person took uh, mesoprostol, or how you pronounce that, which to induce a miscarriage. Miso soup. It's basically a poison. Not the best time, perhaps, for that joke. It's basically a poison to induce a miscarriage. Read the room. Not a great thing to do. The other woman was given a pill and told to take this. This was by the British Pregnancy Advisory Service or possibly by the abortion provider. They gave her this pill. It's meant to be for pregnancies up to 10 weeks. She took it at 28 weeks, which is illegal. It's a terrible idea. It's... That's beyond the legal limit in the UK or the Netherlands at 24 weeks, which are the most liberal anywhere. So what they're trying to do here in the mail is like, oh, be, oh, it's abortion, oh, it's, oh, get get wound up. When you actually look at it, it's just a story about unfortunate things that women unfortunately harming themselves due to what I, as far as I can see is medical malpractice.
0: And this is the, the narrative that tries to create the impression that Britain is America. Yeah. And that we've got the same race relations, that we've got the same issues around abortion. Right. This is how the Britain hating... Um, commentary at, this is how they, how they characterise our country.
2: Yeah, but um, what do they want in the Daily Mail here? I mean, what are they saying? That they is, surely it's bad for women to hurt... Like, what do they actually want here? It's not very clear to me. And they seem to be saying, oh, these laws are old. Lots of our laws are old. And that's a certain irony there that we should ignore old laws, but yet Roe versus Wade has to be set in stone from 1973, which is a little bit of an irony. But, yeah, I'm not really sure what the story's about. It's, it's misleading and hyped up off the back of this abortion hysteria.
0: Yeah, not having it. Okay, well, back to the Telegraph, and it turns out some prisoners are getting knocked up while being locked up, Diane. Can I just say that took me an hour to come up with that? I'm very proud of it.
1: Oh, no, I hope you had a Kit Kat afterwards and a little break and you just sat down and just relaxed. I had a lie down. (laughs) So, um... So what has happened is that, um... A trans inmate has impregnated two other prisoners in a women's prison.
0: A trans woman? Yes. But how can a trans woman make someone pregnant? They're women.
1: Well, I mean, I assume that the Holy Ghost flew in through a window and said, guess what? Um, So they were being held at um, the only women's prison that was in New Jersey. And this inmate uh, called Demi Minor... Interesting choice.
0: She sounds quite major in my book. (laughs)
1: Um... (laughs) Holy major. I'm not major. sure what that means, by the Holy way. major, <laughs> yeah. not demi-minor, um, who is serving, let's just underline this, 30 years for manslaughter. Not
0: a nice person.
1: N- well, I mean, manslaughter is where you can't prove that it was premeditated. It's, it's sort of, it's not quite accidental death. It caused
0: the death of someone indirectly. Yeah,
1: Definitely. Mm. Um, That's
0: coming coming straight off my Christmas card list, let me tell you. Oh, oh, I would.
1: Yeah, scrub that one. Um, I'm right off them. And uh, they ha- were housed according to their self-proclaimed sexual identity. So this goes back to the Penny Morden issue, mm-hmm. where you're allowed to, like, choose your own gender. Um, and what happened was they, uh, this person, Demi, had a relationship with other inmates, and now two of them are pregnant. Um, but... This person, Demi, was complaining, complaining that, oh, well, I, I, I've I been transferred um, to a New Jersey state prison where guards continue to call me he and him. Now, I, I get yeah. that, that that might be an issue for you, <laughs> but let's remember, you have ended somebody else's life.
2: Yes, yeah, pathetic. Can we
1: put that into perspective just for a moment? Um, and this sort of just calls into... It's, it's just one of those examples of why women should have sort of women's spaces because now you have two inmates who are pregnant I, it doesn't tell us anything about what their sentences are how long they're going to be in there mm. but that's two little children if they go to full term who are going to be born with their mums in the prison and I it's just a it just doesn't seem like a, a good stable place that uh, you're,
0: you're <laughs> quite right it is it, a duty of care situation yeah. well. I mean I know that they're, they're prisoners but they're not supposed to you know get, get when you're in they're there. prison
1: like I mean that's not rehabilitation that's that's not punishment that's something else and yeah, yeah. so that's the story in and, the Telegraph
2: and I just said one line Dan and she was correct but the one thing she missed was it says in January the biden administration restored guidelines which had been scrapped by Donald Trump requiring federal prisons to consider the safety of transgender prisoners so Biden brought this trans stuff back in that Trump got rid of, and this kind of thing wouldn't happen. That's all I'm saying.
1: Demi is one of was was one of 27 transgender inmates at this particular facility because of the change in the law. So yeah, yeah but obviously, you know that you don't know who is self-identified, who actually has gender dysphoria, who. Uh, is as they were, who has transitioned medically. You don't know any of this, because as soon as they self-identify, you're allowed in. And like these people are now criminals. Criminals are not the most trustworthy people. How do you know that a criminal is not using this as an excuse, and they're not a genuine trans person? How do you know?
0: Correct. It's a real concern and and, and actually quite a a tragic story. Monday's Mail now and that old adage of cheaters never prosper might not be true in our top universities. Nick, tell me more.
2: Top universities are turning a blind eye to online exam cheats. Who would have thought sending education to online only would would cause any problems? So there was a survey last week where six of students admit asking others for help during online exams. So this is what happens when you, you get rid of education, you make it online... University has kind of done itself in here, really, because they've once it's online, there's so many other options you could do that are much, much cheaper, and especially if there's going to be fraud and and, and cheating. So I think universities have really really done done themselves over, because if you think about it, what did universities have to offer? It reminds me of that old cinema advert that was talking about pirated movies, and it said, cinema, it's the experience that counts, because that's really what a university has to offer now. Otherwise, if it's going to be online, because look, here it says... They're going to keep on offering remote exams next year, despite a sixth of students cheating. So if you're just going to put everything online, fine. But what's the point of going to university? There's so many resources you could use and get a free education, or or much cheaper.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, It seems like you have to wonder these days, with all that debt, uh, is it really worth it? I don't know. Uh, You tell me. Well, lots more to come coming up after the break. Are video games actually good for you? Are food products getting smaller... And Mr. Whippy Ice Cream is quite literally in meltdown. Find out why after this. You get locked up and then you get knocked up.
2: It <laughs> rhymes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense.
0: I'm Mark Dolan. and welcome back to Headliners with the brilliant comedians Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. Don't forget, you can catch Ministry of Offence, which stars Diane Spencer every Saturday night at 8 p.m. And you can catch up on our previous brilliant episodes on the excellent GB News app. Sticking with the male newspaper now and the theme of education, uh, well, it seems like posh people are not fond of their privileged background, are they, Diane?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're not. Um, So apparently, um, people are making these social adjustments because Jonty and Jacinta don't want you to know that they've actually come from a terribly posh area. They're not allowed to say terribly. So they're playing down their privilege um, because they need to keep it quite quiet. Um, So, instead of saying, oh, I went to Eton, they're going, oh, I just went to a little school near Slough.
0: Oh, no. They probably can't
1: pronounce Slough properly. Slough. Slough? Is that how you pronounce it?
0: Slough? Yeah, slough. Oh, this is is a real shocker. Um, Does this tie in with the idea of a mockney, which is a middle-class person pretending to be a Cockney Londoner.
1: Oh, definitely. They've even put a little guide to what you should... A posh person's guide to toning it down. So if you are posh and you're reading the Daily Mail, just flick to it and it tells you things like, um, the estuary equivalent. Thank you, Daily Mm. Mail, you're so kind. Uh, So you never say terribly. You never say, like, oh, it's terribly thrilling. You can't say thrilling either. I've just done... (sighs) two hideous faux pas. Oh, I just said faux pas. See, I'm just going mad. D-
2: don't you miss the poshness, though? I mean, I we can always tell you posh anyway, right? Because you'll be chatting to someone and they just drop in, they own their own house in central London, age 25. We, we always know if you've got secret money, you're not fooling the po- comprehensive school people like me. We all we, we we can sense it. And so I'd rather posh people just embrace their poshness. Because we had people like Damon Alban trying to be, Courtney. we had Joe Strummer uh, rest in peace, his father was a diplomat or whatever. Just to own your poshness, because people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, they mock him in this piece, but I like him because he owns his poshness. Yeah. He did an interview, so he ended the interview, he said, but that's politics, sick transit Gloria Mundi. And, and the interviewer went, Brilliant. translation, and he went, oh, thus perishes the glory of the world. I mean, that's what I want to see. I want posh people what being does posh. thus
0: perishes the... Um, what, what, what did that mean, that line?
2: Well, he's just saying that the, the, the world things move quickly. The world ends, the glory fades, etc. Some people said he, said he should have said, "Thus passes the glory of the world." But I felt perishes was more and more poetic yeah. interpretation. There also, you go. Yeah. Seat Jacob Rees-Mogg down with the uh, down with the people.
0: Uh, Man- Monday's Metro now, and uh, is it me or is everything we're buying getting smaller and smaller as the years pass by, or am I just getting taller in <laughs> well,
2: it? Well, it could be that what mark massive hands, haven't I? Yeah, I have seen that. Um, you know what they say about massive hands? Um, Tiny feet. That's it. Um, butter, so, this is buttery... So, basically, <laughs> they, they get locked up
0: and they get knocked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, ah. this, it's
2: not the same word, but it sounds the same. Ah. Love it. This is why you're making the big bucks, Mark, Thank and I'm much. a mere panellist. So, buttery spreads flora bertolli, and I can't believe it's not butter, our latest shrinkflation casualties. So, the 500-gram packs have shrunk by 10%, should be called I Can't Believe It's Not Bigger, Mark. Am I right? Is this even on? You should be, you should be uh, um, at the... Uh, I think this
0: is... You, you should be at the floor on. head office um, in their creative department. Thank
2: you very much, Mark. I mean, so it's a sort of Alice in Wonderland thing. It's shrinkflation. The, the price stays the same, but it gets smaller and smaller. It does it so gradually. You think you're going insane. It's like something out of the Twits by Roald Dye. Like, it, like you say, is it me or is it everything shrinking? And the, it, the butter shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and eventually you just bring in your own bread and they, they just spread it on two slices. That's all you get. I think eventually it's just a, a picture of a cow and saying this is what it would have been.
0: I, I think <laughs> our, our brilliant team have actually got the image oh, good. for us. So let's take a look Ooh. at uh, an example of how these products oh, have got subtly smaller. And we've seen the same, haven't we? Or at least <laughs> allegedly with Pizza Express pizzas. But that's been going on for years
2: now. That's I'd it. like to see Greta address this problem. How dare you? You know what I mean? Like That's, that's what I feel when I see that. I'm outraged. I mean, it's isn't true. it
1: still the same amount of plastic as well? Oh, I, I mean, it. even though it's, it is vaguely smaller, that's mm. still, you're still making now, a carton.
2: I'm a big fan
0: of Poundland, right? Yeah. Where everything's a pound. Yeah, I've seen your house. Yeah, but, but yeah, but the 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 uh, trick. There was a documentary about about shops like that, and Kellogg's and others will make slightly smaller packets for them, which can then be retailed for a pound. So you sort of think, oh, I'm getting cornflakes for a quid, and they're two pounds fifty at Tesco but it's a smaller box.
2: Or it's just air, or it's a tiny box. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. Big box, less food. Mm. Who knew? Uh, That said, Poundland's the best. If you want to sponsor this show, (laughs) give me a call on Monday morning. um, It's a marvellous shot. Um, The Times now, and technology seems to be getting almost as smart as Nick Dixon.
2: Yeah, I don't need a talking toothbrush when smart tech gets too smart. It's a kind of think piece about how technology can go too far and be annoying. There's apps, people at Wimbledon struggling to get in because they needed apps and so on. Yes. There's someone here, a podcaster, saying that um, why is his washing machine sending him marketing emails telling him his favourite cyclist Cotton's, which he uses 43% of the time? <laughs> Don't really need to know. Uh, and there's an interesting point from Mr Elon Musk saying there is such a thing as too much sentience for household appliances. I'm going with any. Any amount of sentience for my fridge, personally, is too much. Call me a Luddite, Mark, but that's my position. And this is how societies fail. There's an Atlantis theory. People told me I, I misquote this, but there is a theory out there that when our societies become so advanced, we think we're so advanced, but then we can't do anything. We can't function. Our machines are talking to us. Everything actually gets too advanced and we fail. And if there's any kind of problem with it, if the internet goes down, the whole culture's finished and the only people that survive are some people in the forest who live on bugs.
0: Yeah, well, listen, I I share your dystopian vision. Um, I certainly feel that about things like phones, Diane, Mm. because every couple of years you feel this pressure to upgrade your phone. And I'm just thinking, could Apple and Samsung, could they all just make an agreement to just, like, not have progress for five years? Yes.
1: They are now selling what they're calling dumb phones, where oh. they are selling the original bricks Brilliant. that have the little screen. You can just about play Snake on it. Really. I mean, yeah. I remember these coming out uh, because I'm older than the internet, as we all are. <laughs> um, so
0: you can now buy a dumb phone. But that on your Tinder profile, by the way? Older <laughs> than the internet.
2: I think I'm the exact same. <laughs> I think I'm the exact age. I think I'm not as old than the internet, I think. Yeah, no. I'm young teenage? though. I'm very young.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's your skin. Thank you. Uh, but there's, uh, yeah, technology is very naggy. It is very naggy. Like, um, I'm I, even. My, I've got a tiny little watch, but this thing sends me an email when its battery is running low. I'm like, yeah. really? Yeah. Like, so you.
0: I'm already getting nagged by a lot of. They're like things. babies that have got to be fed. I mean, you but, go into a cafe, you're looking for plug points for your laptop. Oh, yeah, but you've, you've got to remember, they're not all like
1: Tamagotchis. What you've got to remember is is that, the, uh, is that it's because it's harvesting your data. And we still don't quite understand, as people, how much our data yes. is worth. And we aren't quite understanding totally. how much we're programming into it.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's right. Every, every, everything you do is, is commodified by mm. those terrifying Californian tech giants.
2: I'd pay a lot for Mark Dolan's data.
0: <laughs> uh, well, uh, a lot of it's being looked at by PC World as we speak. <laughs> never have uh, never brought that laptop in to be fixed. Big mistake. It's been great working in show business. <laughs> God bless and good luck. Uh, Monday's Express now, and here's one for the gamers, Diane.
1: I love this story because I am a gamer. I love playing computer games, and I have always said that they are good for you. And there's some research done by Georgia State University that has said that video game playing can effectively be used for training. It has beneficial effects on your brain and can boost decision-making. I mean, I've always known this because when a child plays a video game, people will be like, oh, you're rotting your brain. No, they are not. They're learning how to solve puzzles. They're learning how to... Because um, sometimes some games are puzzle games where you sort of you sit there and you have to literally think there and work it out. They learn how to save up because, like, say in a game you have to collect the coins, and once you collect so many coins, you get like a mushroom or a treat or something like that. So you you learn how to do lots of different cognitive. Um, sports cognitive gymnastics and by And these neural pathways
0: things. are being built as you do it.
1: Yes, and they can actually transfer into other areas of life.
0: So I think the trick with young people is just to have a time limit on it, isn't it? Yeah, if definitely. This is the problem is for yeah. these kids, you know, they get sucked into it, it's highly addictive, um, 10, 12 hours their school suffers. That's the issue, isn't it?
1: That's where it does go wrong. Because then you end up with RSI, you end up with sort of joints that are going a bit stiff, and that's no good. But playing playing video games in in theory very good for your brain. But yeah, like you said, if you're doing it at the expense of other activities and it's affecting your social life and your health, that's.
0: Too are you much. ready for a horrific story about the consequences of gaming? Please do. And it was it was a kid in China who spent so long on a game that he stopped going to the toilet. (gasps) And after about a week, he was rushed to hospital and had to have his poo-poo surgically removed because it had all sort of backed up and compacted so much that he could no longer pass the stool because he'd been sat on his chair playing FIFA. FIFA? Well, probably not FIFA. (laughs) Um, What's the one where they kill prostitutes?
2: Oh, Grand Theft Auto.
1: Auto, Yes. GTA. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's not
0: a good look, is it,
2: Nick Dixon? No, but if you got the record, it's probably worth it. I mean, the the irony (laughs) is about games. We were always told growing up, we were told that these are terrible things and, you know, do your homework. And now we realise school is actually just indoctrination and woke rubbish and games will get you a lucrative career on YouTube. So, you know, I agree with Diane. And also, I met someone the other day that met someone through gaming and got there, got a job from it. They met someone over, you know, gaming through the internet, and they, they met them and they got a job. And I'd also say it also relieves stress and stopped you killing people in real life. Yeah,
0: Woody Allen made a joke about it. He said oh, all the things they said were good for you or bad for you, oh, like, yeah. like uh, meat and college. Yeah, <laughs> can't argue with that. The times now and Mr. Whippy ice creams could go into meltdown, and it's not because of the heat Nick.
2: Yeah, curbs on idling diesel engines cause meltdown for Mr. Whippy sellers. So because of the climate and we're not allowed to have any fun anymore, Nanny State Fun Police, you're not allowed to leave your engine idling, and so this means they, they can't use the machines properly, and they can only serve scoop ice cream, Cornettos or lollies, but not the classic Mr Whippies, which are 95% of their sales. Some people have, have, uh, got, have altered their machines and got electric ones, but that costs £12,500 in, in this case. Not everyone will have that. So it's just another, it's just another fun police story, Mark.
0: Uh, what do you like to order from the Mr Whippy?
2: Haven't been for a long time, but like, you get the classic 99 with the, the flake, oh, no, right? Flake. Do, you, do you like those? Yeah, of course. Yeah,
0: but I, I, I used to like those until I found out that they are a mixture of vegetable oil and sugar. Oh, I knew you They're not actually dairy. Oh,
1: and also... It um... good. Well, um, Margaret Thatcher was part of the team that originally created Mr Whippy and they found that, you know, by mixing air into it, you could sort of make this frothy ice cream.
0: Disgrace. (laughs) Great great woman, so many ways. Coca-Cola ice lollies, do you still get them?
1: I don't know. We do have an ice cream man that comes around our neighbourhood every single day and I do always ask my husband...
0: Diane Spencer, that's what he calls himself. (laughs) (laughs) He's an imposter, the police are aware (laughs) of him. Um, Just stay away. He hasn't even got a fridge, just a creep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, let's uh, let's move on now to Monday's uh, mail. And people are going to have to be more careful when donating their tatty old clothes to charity, Diane.
1: Yes, so a new state-of-the-art Salvation Army scanner can detect whether donated clothes can be sold on or are unwearable and what is fantastic about this is that it really helps to solve a key element of um, a a massive problem for the planet and that is disposable fashion fashion is one of the biggest polluters on our planet and um, the the making of clothes the transporting of clothes the wearing of clothes like the the way that like young people they'll do these like haul videos look at all the clothes i bought they'll wear wear them and then where do all these clothes go you know and they can end up in landfill But um, this is amazing because uh, they developed this scanner and it will um, determine whether the clothing can be resold and if it can't, it will also determine sort of what it's made of and then it will be automatically sent to be deconstructed into its basic elements which then can be reused. And um, it's been developed by uh, Linda and John Parkinson and they're saying that they're trying to close the loop of fashion because even though... um, They've got an amazing statistic, uh, which is about, although only 2% of the 250 million items donated end up being ditched, mm. they want to reduce that to 0%.
0: Brilliant. They don't
1: want to put anything in landfill. They want to take items of clothing, deconstruct them, reconstruct them. I think it's fabulous stuff.
0: Uh, in a nanosecond, uh, I'm a huge fan of charity shops, because you get to have your retail therapy, it's always cheaper than a normal shop, and you're, you're contributing to a good cause. Uh, what's the best thing you've bought in charity shop or have you bought anything good in a charity shop?
1: Oh, yes. I have bought a really beautiful navy blue uh, coat, which is kind of... I can't wear it now, heatwave, but I am so looking forward to the autumn and um, it's glorious and it's £7 and it fits me beautifully, which is great because I've got quite a long body.
0: But has it been through the scanner because it might be unwearable? It could be unwearable, but I'll make it wearable. Nick, have you bought anything in a charity shop? Well, I, I, got, this, a lot of your old I got this
2: jacket off a guy on the street I had to I had to give <laughs> him my shirt... Uh, it was a good swap. I, I bought something
0: called a coddler, and it's a lovely little porcelain egg cup and it's got a stainless steel screw on the top, right, like a lid which screws on and you put a raw egg inside with bits of ham and a couple of bits of cheese. You close the lid, boil it and then you've got this amazing melange of like a boiled egg with melted ham and cheese in there.
1: Wow, that sounds great.
0: It's a coddler, baby, another <laughs> great British invention that never took off. Uh, Monday's mirror and a story about sex dolls, and this is not anything to do with stag or hen do, is it Diane?: No,
1: this isn't. So there's a couple, and they earn their money, uh, approximately 70,000 pounds on um, a website called Onlyfans. and um, they've decided that the woman wants to buy her husband a 1.5k sex doll and they bought it, that it looks like her. Now she says it looks like her. I've seen it, and I've seen her. I'm sorry, but there's been some dimensions that have been altered. The doll definitely has larger boobs and skinnier legs. And what I'm slightly worried about is she's saying, yes, but I can't be jealous of a doll. Yes, but you've got a doll that sort of looks like you. The doll's not going to age, sweetie. You are. Right. You are going to get jealous of that doll. Yeah, that's <laughs> the the, the problem obvious problem.
2: danger is he ends up liking the doll more, if only because it doesn't speak.
0: Wow, you
2: are such
0: an insult, Nick. (laughs) That is is the holy grail, isn't it? Um, Look, thanks to the incredible, the marvellous, the wonderful Nick Dixon and Diane Spencer. Thank you so much for your company as well. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.